Hello and thank you very much for downloading the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark. Uh, my name is Melvin. On this episode, we're looking at the most recent season of Fourth Doctor Adventures from Big Finish, which comprises two box sets called New Frontiers and Angels and Demons. And this is quite a special season because it features a new companion joining the Doctor and Leela, Margaret Hopwood, played by Neris Hughes, a character previously appeared as a supporting character in another Fourth Doctor story, The Ravencliff Witch, where the Doctor was travelling alone after the deadly assassin. And in, in this set of series, he's travelling with Leela and he goes to pick her up again and brings her on some adventures. So obviously we know Neris Hughes from uh, well, a lot of TV in the UK, but the Fifth Doctor story, Kinder, and then in the Nest Cottage series, Serpent Crest, which we very recently discussed on Trap One to mark its final release, she was in that series as well. Uh, so what did you think of, of Margaret Melvin? I thought she was lovely. I mean, I'm a big, big fan of the uh, Sixth Doctor main range run uh, with Colin Baker and Maggie Stables as Evelyn Smythe. And I, I, you know, listening to this set or listening to this season a couple of times through these last couple of weeks um, really made me long for those days. You know, that that, that mature, uh, older, uh, uh, older woman uh, companion, uh, maybe a little bit settled in her set and a little bit settled in her ways. Uh, and, you know, the, the turmoil of and the chaos of being in the doctor's company. Like it's even, it's even crazier. I feel like if you're with uh, the Tom Baker doctor, than you, than it is with uh, uh, Colin, like Colin, you know, is a little bit cozier and it was a, a great team up, but I love that. I love that dynamic, that dyna- that sort of OAP traveling companion really works for me. Yeah. Cause it's lovely in the Tom Baker era when he teamed up with Amelia Rumford and characters like that, although he never on TV had a traveling companion like that. And it's a, it's a dynamic, a little bit like Mrs. Wibsey. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Nest Cottage Chronicles, but I, I mean, she's priority. yeah. The, the, Margaret's a lot, um, a lot less brittle, I think, <laughs> than uh, than Mrs. Wibsey. But yeah, just having that older female character is a really nice dynamic for for Tom Baker, and mm-hmm. she she just fits in really well, I think, with the Doctor and Leela in terms of. Being an artist, she's a sculptress, so she's quite different to Leela, who is very kind of direct and instinctive. And uh, but there's no there's no kind of rivalry. They they don't go down the route of of them not getting on. Like they immediately gel really really well. Leela wants to protect her, but Margaret's got a bit of kind of wisdom in other ways in her age. And there's a mm-hmm. particular thread that I love through all of these stories of of Leela sort of teaching Margaret about the doctor and it's all these really clever little observations that she's that she's made where she says oh the doctor is often lost but he will never admit it um and it's just it's just really it's lovely that she's she's spotted all these things and then she can point them out to Margaret and I I, all the writers have really picked that up and ran with it in these stories and and I love that a thousand percent I mean across the board everything you said I agree with uh there's also the sort of a dynamic that at play where uh, Margaret, you know, the one of the things about Leela is that she, in the TV stories, plays the sort of fish out of water character, the sort of My Fair Lady character. And I love that they've sort of left that behind for this season because it allows you to have a completely different dynamic where, like you say, the uh, Margaret plays that sort of fish out of water role. She's being taught or, or coached by Leela along the way, not only about the Doctor, which... Uh, uh, you know, we'll we'll get to, but also 
you know, uh, um, in weird ways, even though this is sort of uh, sort of advanced listening, if you're not a Doctor Who fan, I also feel like it's mm-hmm. a stepping on point because Leela is is teaching you about Doctor Who. You know, that this is a story where, you know, you're getting this perspective from the uh, um, the older, more mature character about, you know, what is this world like? What are what are you stepping into? Like that this is uh, it's fun, but it's dangerous. There's risk involved. You're going to learn. Uh, it's one of my favorite lines. You quoted a Leela line. There's one where she says, um, traveling with the doctor, you will learn many things. And she says it in this like, really like sort of inspiring way. I mean, cause we tend to think of Leela as, again, you know, she has this reputation as a savage or sort of technologically backwards, but it doesn't mean, and it's one of the things that I feel like the writers also pick up on throughout the season, that there's a really sort of extraordinary emotional intelligence and an observational mm-hmm. intelligence where, again, it's not that she's dumb, you know, that there's, there's a real perceptiveness to Leela in this throughout this season, which I really, really love. Yeah. Cause I think when the, the fourth doctor audios first started with Leela, there, there was this sense that they wanted to continue with the idea that she was being taught by the doctor. Uh, and a lot of the early stories are like that, but she, this is this series 12, although she hasn't been in all the series because I've obviously done some solo mm-hmm. ones and some with, um, with the Romanas, but yeah, the evolution now is that she's, she's passing it on, like you say to somebody else. And, and she's quite the seasoned traveler mm-hmm. by this stage as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, Nerys Hughes, plays the character fantastically she she plays the the, the sadness of the character she's obviously when we first pick up with her a little bit like donna she's had one adventure with the doctor and now she's sort of realized that she wants a bit more out of life and that there is more to the universe and everything so that's quite nice and then as the series goes on we really learn about her backstory and uh yeah there, there, there is a lot of sadness there Mm-hmm. And right from the off, she's put in mortal peril um, in, in every story as well. And because you sort of you sort of picture her as this older retired lady, there's there's an added sense of the danger to her, I think, than there is to you know younger companions. It's it's absolutely relentless, and I feel like you know we it, one of the things about this season is that by the time you get to the end, like you feel you feel like you've been put through the ringer with her. Uh, and that's a, mm-hmm. a sort of extraordinary place to be, especially, you know, again, the way that I listened to this season um, sort of twice in the in the span of a couple of weeks. It's it's very intense. Um, but one of the things I want to pick up on before we get into the, the 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 individual stories is you were talking about the dynamic between the characters. There's it's also very complex because, you know, listening to the behind the scenes stuff. I mean, you also know that these are all three mature actors like, you know, Louise Jameson makes mention several times of the fact that she is playing, you know, 27, even though she's 67. But one of the extraordinary things about this is that, and we were talking about the difference between Leela, the way that she's characterized in the TV show and the way that she uh, comes out in the big finish. I mean, one of the things that we know is that, and again, it's one of the extraordinary things that these, these are three, you know, more or less senior citizens having insane adventures. And like, there's yeah. <laughs> the, the way that, you know, the level and maturity of their acting, the, 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 the sonorous tones and the way that they can manipulate their voice. Like one of the writers in one of the behind the scenes talks about how Leela can with, or how Louise within a sentence that's like five words, give you lots and lots of emotional resonance. And I think that that is only to the benefit of this, of this season that, you know, even though she's playing much younger, 
you know that you know behind the scenes that there's this uh, uh, um, you know there's a, a just a sense in the in the in the season that time is limited and you know i mm-hmm. feel like we get that not only from the stories but from the from the actors and i think that's that's very powerful also yeah, I think going into it, I, I didn't realize that Margaret was just going to be the companion for for these series, mm-hmm. and and I would really like to to hear more of the of this mm-hmm. team, which I suppose that they can still do because they can slot more stories in. But of course, it's also so perfect. Her arc across these stories is so perfect. It's it's. I think the whole series is such a perfectly formed thing, and there's so much consistency uh, across them that yeah, it's just it just feels like a really special season. This one. And that's uh, um, one of the things uh, before we started recording that I was going to say, which was that I sort of wish that that we had, that you know it had been part of the assignment to listen to the Ravencliff Witch, or that that had been that it had been sort of a self-contained season, like so that we could have lived through that whole arc. I mean, I feel like you know mm-hmm. you get you get the sense of what happened in the previous story throughout the the course of this season, but just as far as like the 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 full the full narrative which I get. I mean, they introduce characters here and they come up in later places, but just for that sense of cohesion. But even again, what we got, I feel like there is enough of a complete, a complete arc here as well. Yeah. And, and as you say about the behind the scenes, the other thing which I, I didn't know until I heard these, which is lovely, is that Tom Baker and Neris Hughes were at acting school together. Yes. And he remembers her 17th birthday party, which is just just lovely, isn't it? That they've got such a connection yep. across the decades um, and, and they've both been see acting for, for so long. So there's nothing they don't know about acting. And it, it must have been great for them to, to work together, I imagine, after all that time. Yeah. And, and and that's another thing. I mean, I don't know if we'll, we can we can cover it now or look at it at the end. But like, it's again, another one of these is one of the reasons I was talking about the complexity of this season is, you know, not only the the narrative arcs, but also the behind the scenes stuff. I mean, it, it, it threads in to your experience of the stories. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, just like listening to Tom Baker, especially and Neris Hughes, like over the course of the behind the scenes of six different stories, sort of narrate their experience of their lives as like, not only like as actors, but also the way that they've interacted over time, like over the course of Mm. 50 years or whatever it happens to be that their, that their friendship lasted. And I was thinking about that this morning. Also, I think Roy Gill posted that he had received his writer's copies of the wizard of time, which Ronald pickup plays the older, uh, um, the name just popped out of my head. Um, Jacob Harmer. There you go. Jacob Harmer. Um, And he had passed away a couple of years ago, which I I didn't know. I don't really know anything about Ronald Pickup, but like the experience for me of seeing that sort of dedication at the bottom of the, of the printed copy and thinking about, again, the content of that story, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. more or less, it's a voice from beyond the grave. And there's, I mean, they're going to be, they're probably going to be some times in this uh, conversation where I may, I may like come towards tears because there are, Again, it's just a lot of a lot of thought about that goes into this set of, about loss, about grief, about thinking back over your life. Um, that again, it just like the, those behind the scenes stuff really starts to tangle in with uh, with the stories themselves. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And 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 again, the, the behind the scenes story from Ronald Pickup being his first ever TV acting story was in Doctor Who. Yep. And and then I guess one of his last pieces of work as well, because we also yep. um, obviously aware that that 
big finish record things well ahead of time so nick briggs in one of the things says you know we're, we're deep in lockdown here yep. as we record this we're all recording separately we've no idea what the world will look like when this is actually released in years to come whether yep. you know what what the outcome of it will be because you know and it, it takes you back almost to those very frightening days of, of early lockdown early pandemic where it was very difficult to to predict what was going to happen, how long it would last or anything. So yeah, there's, there's yeah, all, all kinds, like you say, of resonances throughout this set. All that stuff too. And you know, that's the other start is like thinking about that stuff also really affected me. Uh, and also what you were saying about when it, when things were recorded, I went, you know, over the last day or so and was looking at those sort of behind the scenes, like uh, uh, production credit sorts of things. And, you know, these things, these, these particular stories were recorded 2018, 2019, 2020, like, that, that this has been in some ways like pieced together over the course of, you know, uh, uh, the last five years, like that, that itself is sort of incredible that you get the kind of consistency you get, like from, from story one to the last story, uh, mm-hmm. that, that it, in the, in the way that this has sort of been, been cobbled together. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, there's, yeah, this is a, this one's, this one's going to be fun, fun to talk through. So the the first box set is is subtitled New Frontiers and consists of two four part stories. The first of which is Ice Heist by Guy Adams, and this is the Doctor picking Margaret up again um, from say which they met in the Raven Cliff Witch. So this is a little while later, and you get a little sense of her in in her village of Ravencliff, and she's a bit kind of listless and the. The local vicar's trying to get her to be more involved in in the community and that kind of thing, but uh, she's really, really kind of cutting, but in a polite way with him. I really like that sort of uh, the, the way she is. And the doctor decided it'd be a nice treat for her to take her to an art gallery in the future because she is an artist, she's a sculptress, uh, but it, it doesn't really work out. It's it, it's kind of the flip side, I, I thought, of Vincent and the Doctor mm-hmm. when uh, when the Eleventh Doctor takes Vincent van Gogh to to our present as it was mm-hmm. to show him how well regarded he is after his death and how much art he produced and, and and everything like that. But backfires somewhat here because I think it takes her hundreds of years into the future <laughs> where she learns that she's been dead for hundreds of years and that her art is very scarce and everything. So. That has, yeah, not not the effect that he that he hoped that it would. Uh, and there's a really lovely bit where um, Leela says, um, "Well, the doctor, the doctor's a man. He always expects people to be impressed." Yes, which is a great line. It feeds into the <laughs> Leela teaching Margaret about the doctor thing, and then it's so well written and directed because it, it immediately cuts to the next scene where the doctor is converted the security guards communicate into a scanner, and he says, "Aren't you impressed?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So the humor and, and everything is just is just just gorgeous in this story. This one's this one's definitely lightning fast, and you notice like right off the. It was one of the things that you know, uh, uh, listening to them the second time, I had a sort of notepad file open and was just sort of dictating uh, sort of thoughts and observations. And yeah, like Ice Heist is it's almost like an eleventh Doctor script. It's interesting that you should bring up Vincent and the Doctor because the 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 the, the banter is so witty. It's so mm-hmm. rapid fire. Tom Baker. You know, again, regardless of what his age is or when they were recording this, like his ability to take the script. And I know that they he has a reputation for for fiddling around with lines and like improvising and, you know, going back and forth with the production staff on the day. Um, but he's he's lightning fast and it's really funny and really sharp. 
It's terrific, and and it, it almost had shades as well for me a little bit of Rose in the end of world at the end of the world because you're taking Margaret from a kind of sleepy English village where you know she has had an adventure but she's not been off the planet, she's not travelled in time, and this is both an alien planet and it's in the future, and there's aliens, and she she has a real culture shock moment. And then she has a really nice conversation with the Scottish security guard, which is a bit like Rose speaking to the, I think it was plumber or electrician, I think, yes. on the um, on, on the on the space station. Uh, and it really sort of calms her back down again. And he has a nice line about learning to speak Delphon, which is <laughs> what the third doctor talks about in Spearhead from Space, isn't it? It's the language okay. where they communicate with their eyebrows. Um, <laughs> so that was a nice little callback. <laughs> Um, but then he gets killed very quickly and we're straight into the adventure. And you may guess from the title, it, the ice heist that the, uh, the monsters is one are the ice warriors. Mm -hmm. But what's a re what's really nicely played with here, I think is that Mon the, the curse of Peladon thing of, of the doctor's, um, sort of inherent prejudice, thinking that the ice warriors are evil in that story. So it seems like he's obviously grown since then. Now he's the fourth doctor and he he doesn't want to assume that they're bad, although Leela does. And that's quite they Leela says they've met them before in Blackpool, which I think is not a story. Uh, as far as I can tell, it isn't a big finished story. I'm not sure. So it's just like a, an unseen adventure. But it's a really nice idea that they were attacking Blackpool Tower as somebody who uh, you know lives in the north of England. When I was a kid, I used to live in Blackpool. So the idea of the Ice Warriors storming Blackpool Tower is really, really fun to me. Yeah, I like when Leela uh, interjects, like, it would have been a glorious victory if they had taken it. Yeah. <laughs> she says, yeah, they, they shouldn't try and freeze people's towers and things. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, you were talking about the security guard. It's one of the great things about this one is that it's usually the security guards that within the first couple of seconds are putting people in, uh, uh, putting the doctor and his companions in cells. And here, those are the people that that uh, the that the doctor befriends immediately. Like he walks in on, uh, I think it's Stringer, the one that he ends up interacting with the most. And he's mm -hmm. like, um, uh, "Yes, it's nice to meet you. I feel like we're going to be working together closely." Like he just like yeah. he doesn't he doesn't <laughs> even care. And this is one of the things that again, it, it, I I love about uh, Tom's doctor, and it's one of the things that again reminds me of a, an eleventh doctor story is that you can you could see you could see matt smith doing the exact same lines he would have he would have his own spin to it but it's it's so fast it's so ingratiating it's so charming uh i just i, I absolutely love it. and i just again it's it's really weird to me that it's uh or it's it's a fun inversion that it's the the security guards he befriends right away yeah yeah as you say he's they're normally getting arrested and locked up at that point yeah mm -hmm. that's he, he wins him over yeah really really well and, and really quickly or the security uh, the scottish security guard that margaret befriends uh right off the bat also and he gets sniped almost immediately which is like that's that's super startling for margaret but again like like you said she's just like quiet sleepy english village and dropped into the middle of absolute chaos yeah. <laughs> and it's a really interesting the the sort of racism theme here. There's there's the idea that it's it is not correct to call all Martians ice warriors. Mm -hmm. It's seen as a derogatory term. <laughs> but it kind of stops because you stop and think, because then you think, well, as Doctor Who fans, we would all automatically call them ice warriors. Yes. And but you you know, you you not a racist person, you wouldn't want to you wouldn't think of yourself of that. And it mm -hmm. so it sort of puts you in the position of the the human characters in this who automatically say oh ice warriors mm -hmm. um 
so that that was an interesting way of doing it um i thought because it immediately sort of puts you on on the other side of it like that well it certainly reminded me of the joke which i mean obviously they would have had no knowledge of it in whenever whenever they were recording this in the legend of the sea devils because the same thing comes up like jody's like or the third the doctor is like ah sea devils and he's like that's yes that's not what we are that's what what you guys call us Yeah, because it was Victoria originally, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, that called them um, Ice Warriors, and then it, it just stuck after that, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, and then, but there's the 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 kind of the wrinkle as well that it seems like this is so far in the future that there has been uh, sort of uh, interbreeding between humans and Ice Warriors mm-hmm. because somebody that the uh, one of the actual owners of the of yes. the gallery. When when the, the sort of manager of the gallery speaks to to him, he said, "Well, I've got some Martian blood in me as well." So that's kind of an interesting prospect in the future as well. I think. Yes. No, it's great. Uh, one of the things for me about this story, uh, the that the enemies, as it were, whether it's you know, or the combatants, I guess you would call them, because they're not really. I mean, they're the sort of foes of the story, I suppose. Like the Ice Warriors, not necessarily the Ice Queen, who is, or the Ice. I don't know what you would even call her. Um, the the Katak or Kartak, um, who's played by the same actor who plays the Ice uh, Queen in the Peter Capaldi episode. Uh, yeah, it's um, the, Adele Lynch who yes. plays Kaltak in yes, this. Yes, yeah, she, she plays the Empress in uh, in in the in the Empress of Mars as well. Yes, it's great. That it's really got lovely. Her back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, whether it's them or the 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 people that are uh, unearthed at the very end, the Bangladeshi, Pangla- I think they're called. Um, that the um, the young British artist has encased in his little uh, uh, machines to sell to to sell as home furnishings to people, which is bananas. But like yeah. that, the, that, <laughs> that the enemies, whether it's you know the that they want to eat everyone once they're freed, or like the ice warriors just want to kill everyone once they arrive on the scene. That all this chaos, or the you know the the art collectors, or the the moneyed interests of the corporation, or whatever, they're going to bomb the planet. Uh, at some point, like that, all of this is, you know, it's sort of secondary. It's sort of backseat. It's the, the who is who is in conflict is less important than seeing this story as an introduction for Margaret to the Doctor's world again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's, there's. Everyone's got the kind of the. There's, like you say, there's no out and out villains. Mm-hmm. There's, there's. Everyone's got their own interests mm-hmm. because the Ice Warriors are kind of in it quite an nice warrior like scheme are trying to steal art to fund the uh the kind of resurrection of mars the yeah the 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 aliens on the planet are, are being exploited mm-hmm. by the corporation so mm-hmm. yeah they're they're wanting to be everyone is sort of justified almost yeah so it's uh yeah it's a it's a great big sci-fi story for for Margaret's first first adventure, certainly. And that's a theme that comes up again and again throughout the season. It may not be every story, but this idea of corporate greed, you know, it just comes up again and again that, you know, that there's someone who's making money or looking to profit behind the scenes. Uh, and yeah, there, there are a lot of different themes that I've sort of plucked out that we'll come back to over and over again. Uh, and, you know, not 100% sure what they all add up to, but it's interesting that they sort of weave in and out and you know again like one of the other ones for this story is that idea of death and remembrance and legacy especially again you know thinking about you know margaret's own artistic life and you know they the bellatrix character uh the curator is talking about you know this is one of the great sculptors of 20th late 20th century you know uh earth art 
Um, and again, what is that? You know, that's just something that, you know, definitely I, I want to touch on in other stories as well is this idea of, of legacy and of, you know, what, what, what memories people have of the lives that they lead and what they, what they, what they, what they leave behind, what the stories they tell themselves about themselves are. And so that's one of the interesting things that, you know, when Leela and Margaret talk about the moment that she sees that sculpture, she's like, you know, I, I told the doctor it wouldn't make you happy. I told the doctor this was going to be a weird thing for you. This idea of like facing the imminent, the imminent, the reality, the, the certainty, the, 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 uh, I mean, the always alreadiness of it. Like you have already, and that's not only that you're dead, you've been dead for centuries, you know, and mm-hmm. this is uh, uh, one of these things about the, you know, it sort of ties in a little bit to the Ice Warriors too. I remember an interview with Mark Gatiss where he said he was always tickled by the idea that the, in the target novelizations, the Ice Warriors were always referred to as a once proud people or once proud yeah. race. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. he's like, that always tickled me because the idea that these people were once proud and now they are not. And <laughs> I just, that always made me laugh, but you know, it definitely works for these guys because you know, the, uh, the, the ice warrior that's played by Nick Briggs anyway, is talking about, you know, honor's great, but it doesn't buy food. It doesn't buy bullets, you know? Mm-hmm. So again, it's that idea of what does, what does legacy mean? What does reputation mean? It's just, that it's something that they bring up immediately in the first story. And it's sort of like, again, it sort of filters through the rest of the, of the rest of the season. It's interesting. It's come out so close to the the artist at the end of time as well, yes. which was the the most recent, as we record, sixtieth anniversary Big Finish story, mm-hmm. because that has similar themes. And I'm sure they were planned probably years apart, mm-hmm. completely separately, but mm-hmm. but they, they 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 do share some some overlapping themes there. Yeah, and again, I think that's something that I'm definitely going to touch on as we as we continue. Is this because uh, uh, it, it they they sort of deal with the same idea also, which is. Um, you know, uh, more broadly, the legacy of Doctor Who, you know, what is, and again, mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, uh, uh, age and, you know, how, how far, again, these things are recorded in advance. Like, it's not very difficult to see a lot of these as commentaries or thinking about Tom's legacy, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the, the second story on the, the first box set is... Antilia the Lost by Phil Mulrine. Yeah, so Antilia the Lost, as you said, uh, I, I, is that is it Mulrine? I, I heard it as Mulrine, but uh, we'll do it either way. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm not sure now. That's fine. I'll just, I'll, I, I, I've been saying <laughs> Mulrine in my head, so I'll just say Mulrine. Okay. Uh, by Phil Mulrine, uh, who has, he's got an interesting legacy himself. He's written and acted uh, in a number of big finish ranges, um, including alongside a number of the doctors. So he's written for Omega Factor, Churchill Years, Avengers, uh, the War Doctor, the original Hurt uh, productions, and War Doctor Begins. He's written for Classic Doctor's New Monsters, the Fourth and Fifth Doctors, the Robots. Um, he has the w- one of the things that stuck out to me is that he has experience also writing for New Companions because he uh, was one of the writers. Uh, he did Planet of the Drashigs for the season that Tom Baker did with Jane Slavin as Anne Kelso. So I wonder if that was one of the reasons that they brought him in is like, you have, you know, you, you have this, you've shown this experience to write for Tom with a new, uh, with a new character. Um, so it, it was just a curiosity to me. Um, and as an actor, he's appeared in many more audios across all the ranges. So this is someone, you know, and I don't know why necessarily I think of this. I just like, why did they pick the writers they picked for, 
for these projects and like you know across the ones that you asked me to introduce it was just interesting to see who has experience with what you know with what ranges and in what ways but yeah so uh until the lost the 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 long and short of it is it's a sort of atlantis sort of story uh and again you've got a big corporation who is looking to uh more or less you know uh, um they want to find a, an inventor, a, a great genius who has disappeared many years ago, uh, who built this sort of space islands laboratory called Antilia, uh, which sort of like Atlantis sort of seems to disappear and reappear over the ages and or over the decades. And uh, they're looking for they're looking to recoup their investment. And so the doctor and uh, Leela and Margaret uh, materialize there because, of course, they do. It's it's a great one. This for me, the it's the whole thing's a mystery, isn't it? It's, yes. it's why Antilia has gone missing, mm-hmm. and then when they get there, it's why does the place? Why does it seem to be deserted initially? Mm-hmm. But then there's there's creatures, mm-hmm. and why does things happen the way they do? Because walls are moving, mm-hmm. and they, they try and row across a lake, and the lake turns against them, and and it, it's another four part one. Mm-hmm. And I really, the pacing and the structure, I really enjoyed. It's each time you learn a bit about it it's very satisfying mm-hmm. it's exciting mm-hmm. it's a great margaret is, is separated again for a while from the doctor and leela mm-hmm. with uh, a character who is played by angeli mahindra yes which absolutely brilliant marvelous to, to hear yes. yeah she's she's so she's like doctor who royalty now yep. isn't she? she's in the sarah jane adventures obviously she's acted then alongside the 10th and the 11th doctors the 13th doctor in uh, the uh, it's just gone. It was the Nikola Tesla. Nikola Tesla's Night mm-hmm. of Terror. That's mm-hmm. the one, and the Skithera Queen. I think she plays. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's uh And then, and then she's in this one as well. And um, it just again, every time I, I sort of hear or see, yep. I think, what a brilliant companion she would have been yep. in the main show. Yep, absolutely fantastic. I guess now, if they brought her back as the Rani, it would kind of have too much baggage for new viewers maybe but yeah she she would have she they could bring her back as a as a new recurring character i think she'd be i think she'd be fantastic but yeah i mean her uh, and her voice her and there's just something about her voice it's just it's beautiful her voice is just gorgeous it's and like listening to her because yeah you're right i mean they pair her with uh her character markway i think that it is that they pair with um that they pair with the Margaret uh, Neris Hughes character. And there is a, a real sense of groundedness in that relationship. There are a couple of stories, I think this one and the next one, where they pair Margaret with someone who is, you know, not a fantastical, like otherworldly, like science fiction, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the Doctor or Leela who are these extraordinary people out of mythology or whatever. You know, it's just a normal person. And Margaret now is the sort of liaison between, you know, it, it, it just gives her a, a someone to talk to about, what the hell is going on here in in a very sort of grounded and realistic way and i love that they that they do split her off in a couple of these tales and allow her to talk to a normal person about what is going on here it's a really lovely way of doing it i think mm-hmm. yeah because because um mohindra's character is yeah theodora markway and mm-hmm. she's a journalist so she's not like the space pilot or the mm-hmm. inventor or mm-hmm. anything like that it's, it's like you say it's quite a grounded job and obviously mm-hmm. her job is to seek information and and and, uh, and pass it on and everything so it's a great way of her telling margaret about what what the, the world's like mm-hmm. um so, so that part of it is really nice and then yeah she gets to do quite a bit of action in this one with mm-hmm. leela as well the sort of 
zip lining and, and, and all this kind of cool stuff. So it's, it, yeah, it's quite fun to, to imagine all that, I think. Yes. Yeah. No, for me, this is a really, it, you, like you were saying, it's, it's sort of weird, uh, pacey, visceral sort of story. These first couple of stories, like do that Doctor Who thing, that classic uh, old school Doctor Who thing of each part of a four part adventure, like may almost be. And I feel like the, the way that that's happened in the new series has sort of been like with Stephen Moffat two parters where the first part is one thing and the second part is something completely different. Like here, by the time we get to the fourth story, like, you know, or the fourth part and the same thing with ice heist, you know, you're dealing with, uh, um, you know, weird creatures that want to, you know, eat you in the fourth part of ice heist. Like, where did that come from? And here it's like, you've got these, you know, you're dealing with, again, it's sort of a weird visceral way. And I have a very visual sort of imagination. So I keep picturing, uh, the, um, uh, the name of the people um, that are there. Um, z- 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 it starts with a Z or something like that. Zazessions z- z- or Zafarians or whatever they're called. The people who are there on the... Um, anyways, the scientists that are there native, they're on Antilia. Uh, forget what they call themselves. Yeah. It doesn't matter. No, Neither here nor I haven't there. made a note that either. doesn't matter. But they have this sort of look to them that I'm picturing like the baby from Eraserhead or like creatures from right. the thing, like these sort of weird twisted features uh, or like sort of sloth from the Goonies uh, where they don't even have mouths and can't talk properly. And like, for me, it's almost like I'm fighting this urge to like wretch every couple seconds, uh, which also sort of gives this a sort of like, gives this sort of, gives this story specifically a sort of seasickness to me. Like, I'm just like trying not to like, be ill all over the place thinking about these weird twisted creatures that are trying to explain themselves and what they're doing because they also sort of get mistaken for villains. Because mm. again, it's yeah. like what, what you see sort of, it, it, it takes you aback. Yeah. And Margaret has that reaction. Initially she's scared. She like mm-hmm. say she assumes they're monsters, but mm-hmm. then but by the end, very, very sympathetic mm-hmm. uh, characters as well. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not quite unusual for the fourth doctor to, to rescue people and take people away in the TARDIS at the end. It's something that you don't really get in the fourth Doctor era, I feel. It's more the fifth Doctor era onwards, mm-hmm. where you've got stories like Earthshock and Black mm-hmm. Orchid, mm-hmm. where incidental characters uh, come into the TARDIS yeah, as well. It doesn't happen so much before that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that was, yeah, that, that felt slightly unusual, but also nice to have Anjali Mahindra in there as well. Obviously, it's uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's good to, good to have her aboard the TARDIS. But yeah, here again, like I said, by the time you get to part four, you know, you've got Gilman Hari, the sort of uh, mad scientist guy who is possessed by dark universe or dark energy parasites. And you're like, what is going, what, what is happening here? But this is like, this is, this is classic Doctor Who mad scientist overreach where, you know, trying to find a way to, and this is the whole thing with Antilia is that it was constructed as a sort of giant transmat pad, like trying to find ways to move you know, either large volumes of people or large volumes of goods from one point in the galaxy to another. And they talk about this sort of uh, uh, energy principle, whether it's an actual thing or a sci-fi thing, who knows, but it's sort of, it makes sense in a sci-fi way where the longer a distance you're trying to transport something, you know, the loss of energy means that you might not get back what you, Mm. what you initially transport, which makes sense because I mean, it explains why, you know, what it explains the tragedy of what happened to all of the scientists. Uh, which again, it's just, it's so gruesome, especially once you learn 
that that's what happened, that, you know, that Gilman Hardy tried to transport all these people at once and they ended up fusing their bodies and their minds like that is it's it's so it's so weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like the fly or something as well, isn't yes. it? That sort of uh, transporter thing going wrong and, and yes. leaving you like that. Yeah, because it made me think what you're saying there. I suppose in all science fiction or most science fiction, there is like a teleport range, isn't there? Mm-hmm. So for Star Trek or mm-hmm. Blake 7 or anything. Mm-hmm. And I guess there's story reasons for that because it would be if you could just teleport anywhere then you wouldn't have starships <laughs> yep. and you wouldn't have um you know a lot of the uh, a lot of <laughs> a lot of the things that, that would make the story and the crew and the situations so i guess it's it's a uh, it's a storytelling necessity but yeah to make that something that scientists then want to overcome because if that was real practically you would want to be able to transport people and things much further yeah it's it's, it's a clever way of looking at it isn't it mhm and this is uh this is the first time i feel like that we get another one of the recurring themes that i noticed popping up again and again over the course of these stories which is this idea of between universe entities you know it come it, mm-hmm. i don't again i don't know you know it may be something worth worth thinking through but like uh, that these dark energy creatures who take over Gilman Hari that, you know, want to come through to our universe and basically, you know, again, sort of eat everything or destroy everything or whatever it is they want to do. It's neither here nor there. They don't get to do it, which is great. Um, but, you know, again, this idea of something coming through from between worlds, something that's neither here nor there, that, you know, we don't know necessarily what its motives are. It may not have motives beyond chaos or destruction or or consuming. Um but you know, it's just an interesting thing to me to feel like, or to 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 recognize that starting here, because again, it comes up several times. Uh, again, sort of between, it's it's neither here nor there, and I feel like it's one thing that science fiction and especially science fiction fans have a reputation for, which is like, you know, aside from the fact that we are traveling in worlds of of, of wonder and 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 unusual things, that we always sort of want things to be classifiable, you know. The ice warriors are good or they're bad. You know, they're honorable or they're not honorable. You know, things are, people are good or they're evil. Uh, and that there are things between, there are things between that. And I feel like that is one of the ways that this theme is sort of exercising itself through this season is like, things are not always black and white. They're not always what they appear to be. And the same thing with the with the scientists, the twisted sort of, you're right, David Cronenberg horror. That's exactly what I was looking for. The yeah. sort of weird body horror idea that they are you know they they they, they're not again they're not uh easily identifiable or distinguishable from each other they are sort of in a between state themselves and as you said earlier the the other sort of ongoing theme in this one is corporate greed Mm -hmm. and corruption Mm -hmm. because although they it's presented as this corporation has sponsored an exploratory trip to try and find antilia what's revealed is that they actually were responsible for Antilio in the first place mm-hmm. and they want their kind of IP back and they, yeah. they want the potential technology and, and to exploit what Gilman Hari might, might have discovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the big faceless corporation that only cares about profit being behind it is, is a similar, similar thing to the first story there. And the other, you know, before we move on, the other sort of theme that came up uh, for me here, and I recognized it in the story before as well, is this idea of distinguishing between uh, who is and who has legitimate genius and who is, you know, faking it or exploiting, you know, because again, it, it, yeah. it, we see that we see that in the first story as well with the 
Don Callister figure who, you know, claims to be, you know, a great artist or has, but has just like, is just a front for, you know, for a sales team or whatever, you know, who has, who has legitimate skill, who has legitimate talent. And I feel like that comes up over and over again. I mean, definitely with the doctor, because I mean, everyone at least once a story has to say, doctor, you're brilliant. He's, yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, I know, you know. <laughs> But again, it's like, you know, who who has that? And, and it's not only like intelligence, but it's also like, you know, who has a genius for getting out of uh, uh, getting out of situations or, you know, for, for, for problem solving. It's not necessarily like, you know, again, in the first story, who has the legitimate artistic skill? You know, we're presented with the idea that, you know, Margaret is a great artist and Gilman Hari, you know, the doctor says at the end, he was a great genius. He was a great scientist. But, you know, once he was corrupted by the dark energy parasite, which I, lo- I love Doctor Who, I love saying sentences like that, Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, is is corrupted beyond beyond redemption. Yeah, but then you've got Krask in this story or mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the sort of curator in the first one who's mm-hmm. just just there about, yeah, yeah, exploiting them. Yeah, yep. no, it's, it's interesting. There's, there's those parallel characters in each one, isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. And then into the second set, which is, which consists of four stories because we've got three two-parters and one four-part one and he's he's got the overall title of angels and demons the first story in this i absolutely adore this one the wizard of time by roy gill Mm -hmm. is kind of just really up my street i think it's got that stephen moffatty thing of being about stories Mm -hmm. and storytelling and the importance of of stories to to people Mm -hmm. Uh, it starts off, we've got Jacob Harmer that we mentioned earlier, who is in a very famous fantasy writer who's written a series of books about the Wizard of Time and, and Dirk Forever, uh, <laughs> which uh, there's, there's, uh, there's so many allusions, yep. I think, to, to the books that you that, that you know, most people, I think, probably our age and, and particularly, you know, I, I love growing up. So he's he's old now and he gets a visit from. Uh, from somebody who has is, is come to, to try and help him, Moira Tanaka, mm-hmm. to, to 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 talk through his life. And then he's, he's obviously set in the future because his childhood is in sort of the... Uh, yeah, like no, that's... that's uh, the 12s, isn't it? Yeah. Well, no, it's one of uh, it's one of the things that makes this story really hit for me is that th- his his life is our life. Like, he, he was a kid in the 80s. Uh, he says he was... Right, a, that's he was right. A, yeah, he, yeah. He was a teen in the 90s. Uh, and you know, yeah, because he's got the synthesizer music and the Walkman, hasn't he? Yeah, that, that's yep. right. Yeah. Um, so it's so it, his old age is in our future because he's got um, a holographic projector where yep. he can, when he's telling Moira what's happening, actually like live the story, yeah. like it's all around you. Yep. It's it is projected into the room, which is a really nice way of doing it because we then learn about his interactions with the Doctor, Leela, and Margaret. Mm-hmm. Some great in jokes here about the the books that they were reprinted with a, a logo that nobody <laughs> likes. So it's always like the Target books being reprinted with the blue spines and the McCoy logo. Um, even though I love the McCoy logo, but yeah, I can I can see what they were going for there. So there's a lot of real um, plethora of meta references uh, in this story, story, which is great. So the the main part of it is. Uh, Jacob Harmer as a young boy is in the woods behind his house where even though it's summer it suddenly snowed Mm -hmm. so immediately sort of conjures up Narnia Mm -hmm. and and things like that and the reason is the doctor has shrunk the TARDIS uh, like in Flatline yes 
to to escape from the Raposa, who are these aliens that that want to try and get the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. And that sort of energy conversion has suddenly made there be snow everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then the so so they are continue the Raposa are continuing to chase the Doctor through the woods, and because time is behaving uh, strangely. What is for them is an adventure is quite a short adventure. It keeps it keeps reoccurring throughout Jacob's life mm-hmm. in into his adulthood. Mm-hmm. So that's that, that's really cool. The setup and everything, the way he's an unreliable narrator because he's adapted these stories in his real life into books. Mm-hmm. So he's changed a lot of the details, and then you're not sure what's from the books and what's from his memory mm-hmm. and what he's just what he's just elaborated as well, just to make it into a better story. So that's all really cool. Um, I, I love this one anyway, as you probably tell. Yeah, this is, for me, this is the centerpiece of the season. Uh, this one and the last story, like, are, have weird echoes mm-hmm. of each other. Uh, but this is this is the heart and soul of the season. Uh, and, it, you know, it, 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 uh, for me, it's like Roy does it again. You know, Roy Gill just, like, not absolutely yeah. knocked it out of the park. The last time, or one of the last times we I podcasted with you, Mark, we were talking about... Albie's Angels, which we were talking yes. about how much has happened in Doctor Who this week. We didn't even mention the fact that Albie's Angels got nominated. I mean, we talked about it when we podcasted. We were like, this is going to be nominated for awards, and it got nominated for a Scribe Award. I wouldn't be surprised if this one follows suit next year. This is a yeah. this is an instant this is an instant an instant classic. It's you know uh, it, this alone could you could listen to this story alone and it would be satisfying. You wouldn't even out out of the context of the season like this is. This story does so many things all at once. It's it's really sort of mind boggling, and I, I loved listening to this one a second time because you know it is it is sort of a meta narrative, and it's not only a meta narrative about Doctor Who, it's about Doctor Who fandom, it's about Doctor Who actors, it's about their legacy over time, it's a it's a Harry Potter pastiche, it's about fandom generally, it's about the way that we live our lives in fandom. It's about, you know, you think about, you know, I didn't have the sort of childhood with Doctor Who that a lot of y'all had. Um, for me, you know, growing up in, you know, sort of 1980s, in like 1987, when I was probably sort of 10, 11 years old, that's when Star Trek The Next Generation started. And that was sort of my thing. And when he's talking mm-hmm. about the novels and reprints and stuff like that, I just remember in middle school, like my mom, we would go to the mall and I would get the newest Star Trek The Next Generation novel. And like, but again, whatever, whatever your thing happens to be, you you get you you understand it you understand it you understand what he's talking about and again you know the fact that we get sort of four periods these sort of temporal phases or shifts like we get Jacob as a six year old we get him as a, a as a sort of tween we get him as in a late late teens when he's getting bullied by the kids on the playground and then you get mm-hmm. him sort of as a uh, as a thirty three year old trying to pitch his book and then again also maybe four maybe more five five or six periods of his life. But you see how these legends, these stories, this fantasy, this this fiction, sort of how it reinterprets itself through the phases of our life. And that is, I just can't even wrap my head around it. It's so beautiful. It is. It's, yeah, I've listened to it twice. And it's definitely one that I'll, I'll, I'll keep going back to, I think. I, and I'm sure there's loads of references in here, which I didn't spot. But I think for me, the ones that, that struck home... There's the idea that 
all the wood, all, all the woods in all the worlds across the multiverse that have become linked by the Raposa, mm -hmm. which reminds me of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels, which I read, probably started reading when I was 10 and then, you know, read, read them all up until he, he passed away. Because in the Discworld, you've got library space where all libraries across the multiverse are connected and, uh, you know, librarians can, can move between libraries like that. Mm -hmm. I think probably... Dirk Forever is, is almost like Dirk Gently as well, a Douglas Adams character, and that ties into sort of the interconnectedness of everything. Mm -hmm. And of course, also the the Harry Potter, the reference is clear as well. I mean, with, you know, uh, wizards and childhood and like, you know, all those kinds of things as well. I mean, again, this is for me. I mean, I don't, I'm unfamiliar with the Discworld stuff, but again, like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, it's one of the things that I know I've seen Roy uh, Gill tweet about or talk about on Twitter is that this idea of that this story has valences with uh, he wanted it to be a sort of love letter to children's fiction full stop so i mean the fact that you know we we we, we might go through talking this whole story and and miss numbers of mm -hmm. them miss many of them of the references. definitely yeah um yeah so i mentioned chronicles of narnia as well with the with the snow and everything mm -hmm. and then there's a really there's that when the when he meets when when jacob meets the doctor on the streets of london mm -hmm. and that conversation when he describes him as an old man and i immediately thought oh is this the curator because tom makers reprised the role of, of the curator for big yep. finish as well I thought, yep. and it's in london i thought this is the curator but then it isn't or it's ambiguous at least but it's it, it, it's more likely to be the doctor and he's just uh seeing him as an old man because he expects him to be an old man because he himself is that bit older. Yep. But that conversation is so packed yep. with little references because he talks about, he said, oh, when I was younger, uh, <laughs> everybody knew me when they were younger, yep. which is a beautiful line because that's uh, that's like the story that Tom Baker tells about the the guy that walked up to him in the street and said, oh, you know, I was in an orphanage and it was horrible. And then, you know, but but you gave me the the escapism as Doctor Who. Yeah. He talks about, I used to be like a light bulb, like a gray-haired man with like a light bulb. And that's how Tom Baker describes John Pertwee. He says he's like a tall light bulb. Yeah. He talks about being in commercials, which yep. in this country, Tom Baker has done uh, many, many, many adverts. And of course, the very famous Australian ones for Apple computers, wasn't it? Like, yes. again, it's just like, uh, I'm, so, I'm still, I, you know, even 10, almost 15 years in now, like, I still feel so new to this fandom. And yet, again, it's like all these things resonated with me as well, just from having seen them on Twitter or heard about them on podcasts or like seeing them in documentaries. Like, just imagine again, like, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, that, that conversation. And you could, you could totally imagine it as, as being either the curator or, or maybe it is Tom Baker. I mean, yeah, I mean, all these things, <laughs> all these things are possible. And that is, God, it's just it's so beautiful it's so because they never they don't say you know they don't they don't say it they don't mention it and you know it's one of these things where it definitely happens in anniversary specials and stuff like that where you know it happened in the power of the doctor where you know you get the fifth doctor showing up in this and they don't look they don't look the same but you know yeah. who they are because you know them from when you were a kid yeah it's 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 one of the many beautiful things about this story and there's even a line there when because uh, jacob said i've just been to see this publisher called fennec mm -hmm. And I didn't pick up on it the first time I listened, but the second time you said Fennec with an R. I thought, what does that mean? I thought Fenric. Um, it's a, a reference yep. to the curse of... I assume that's what it means, is a reference to the curse of Fenric in there, but it, it, it's so packed with 
with allusions to other things in yep. here that, that some of them go over your head the first time and yep. the second time yep. when you when you stop to think about them. And that's one of the crazy things for me, especially at the start of the story. And forgive me when you were talking about that particular scene. This is one of the reasons I want to step back a little bit is like I was just like sobbing. Like it's just there's just there is a lot there. Um, uh, but to step back for a second, when he meets the the new person from the trust, um, uh, meets mm-hmm. her at the gate, uh, uh, Tanaka. Like there's a there's a weird way in which she is a sort of, you know, almost I, I don't even want to say the name out loud, sort of Ian Levine sort of figure where she's like, you know, there are inconsistencies with you know the way that you're telling the story and the way that I remember the story or the you know, there we have to clearly delineate between the fiction and the autobiography, which, again, it, it leans for me into that sort of between space theme that works throughout this entire season which is that, you know, there is no one, there's no one way of interpreting Doctor Who. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be consistent from, you don't have to, you know, the idea of canonicity or canon, like, God, it just drives me insane when everyone's like, well, this doesn't fit into canon. This isn't how Leela would have acted in, you know, in season whatever. And it's just like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because everyone has their own experience of what Doctor Who is. And it's the same, it's, you know, I think it's one of the things that he sort of gently chides her about when she when she says that he's like, you know, there is no one, you know, they're not the same thing, you know, the, the, the truth, you know, and it's the same, it's the same sort of idea that, you know, what is canon or what is written in the books and what is in, what influenced it. They don't have to be parallel. They don't have to be one. There doesn't have to be a one-to-one correspondence between, and this is the, the whole death of the author thing that always bugs me when people are like, well, what was the author's intent when they wrote this? I'm like, it doesn't matter because once the story is out there, it's in your hands. It's how mm-hmm. you interpret it. It's what it means to you that that matters. You know, what the, you know, Roy Gill could have packed this with more references and 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 little sly hints than, than we will uncover today. But again, it doesn't make the story mean less to me. It doesn't mean make the story mean more to you. You know, it's, you know, how we come to the story when we come to it and how we live with it that that you know that that's the that's the impact of that later scene that you were talking about where jacob meets the figure in the street you know whether it's the doctor or the curator or tom baker like that is up to who it's up to who's listening to yeah. who that is or what that means and it works on different levels though as well it, it, what made me think then when you said that is there's the differences between the target novelizations and yes. the TV stories. Yep. yep. There's there's Tom Baker's whole <laughs> thing about when when he tells an outlandish story, yes. and and uh, you know so if someone says to him it's true and he's like don't ask that you know it's a, it's a, it's a good story. <laughs> That's it, it, yeah it, it works on so many levels and it's it's the story being good that matters more than the continuity or anything else definitely. And and that chimes again what we were saying earlier with behind the scenes stuff in the later story where uh Joe Sims who I love him as well. I love Joe Sims. Uh he says he tells the story that a lot of people tell. He's like when Tom walks into the green room like everyone defers and we listen and we laugh and we just enjoy that this is a, a man who loves to tell a story. You know, mm-hmm. and that's all that matters is that, you know, just listening to him tell stories. And that is, again, it's 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 amazing. And there's the um, one of the other things to think about in this one specifically is that idea of the uh, of the Raposa. Like, I'm not exactly sure how they spell it, but when I hear it, like I see the key, I see the 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 ant, the, the, the prefix being uh, shared with rapacious. So like they want to eat, they want to eat, mm-hmm. they want to devour everything. You know, it's just like this sort of collector 
you know, again, to sort of take it from the realm of the story to the, the realm of like fandom, like the rapacious collector who has to own everything or has to have the, ex- you know, the people who I've seen, Mark, and I'm sure you've seen them too over the last like three weeks, especially leading up to today, who are like, when's the next, when's the, when's the next <laughs> collection set going to be announced? Like, I'm angry because I'm not getting the announcements of Blu-ray sets on time. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? It was just like a, like a, a feeding mentality to it, which is, yeah. which I, lo- again, I love, I, I don't know, again, that that is necessarily what was being invoked, but again, thinking about the, the idea that for me, Raposa sort of, uh, uh, mirrors that idea of rapaciousness is uh, interesting as well. Yeah, and it's like the art collectors in the first mm-hmm. story, and the, the corporations just just want to crew things without any actual appreciation of mm-hmm. the the art or the, the the science, I guess, of Antilia or anything like that. Is it? It is just just greed and ownership and everything. Yeah. And I just sort of wondered if there was a similar joke happening when they build the bird demon, the big sculpture, and uh, the doctor calls it the Omni Raptor. I'm like, there's no yeah. way that that is not like at least a sight rhyme for the Omni rumor. Yes, I that <laughs> went over my head, but you're right. Yeah, <laughs> I was just laughing my head off. This giant, just giant beast that was scaring off the the rapacious collectors, like, or or, or making them throwing them into a frenzy. That, that it, yeah, that is there to 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 take in the <laughs> the rapacious uh, yeah kind of beings yeah. That, but they completely fall for it, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's brilliant. It's, and, yeah, it's it's a like, just a beautiful story. I can't I can't say enough good things about it. And then at, at the end, it is I think, and it's again a beautiful little thing that they do is that Margaret and Leela sort of I think feel the same as the audience yes. that Jacob's life has gone too gone by too quickly yep. because. They've met him very quickly at different stages, and they're saying, "Well, well can't we rescue him from the where, from the projection where he is?" Yeah. And the doctor's like, "No, he he's had a very full life, yeah. and he's had success as an author, which has obviously given him lots of opportunities. And you know, you know, he's got this great big house at the end and everything. So it's it's like, yeah, no, you've seen his life very quickly in these short stages, but he has actually lived a full life, and these have just been little episodes in it." And, and that's the other part of it, too, is that, you know, when we when we meet him, you know, we know that the the, the Tanaka character knows that this is an AI, uh, an interactive. It's, just, it's an interactive hologram sort of character is the Jacob Harmer when we meet him at the start of the story. So, you know, and she represents the, the literary trust or whatever. And obviously, you know, the AI is more advanced. He can like banter with her in a way that we we take him for granted as a an active sentient character. Um, uh, um, but, you know, th- and I don't think that they necessarily make it clear when specifically the beginning of the story happens, but it may be, again, mm-hmm. we were saying about Margaret, uh, in the first story, like it may be a hundred years or, you know, I think she says, I read this when I was a kid or in the, it was printed in 2012 and I think she was a kid. So maybe not that far in the future, but the, the fact of the matter is he is, he is, he is dead and he's been dead for a while. Like, you know, because they've run into him at various points in his life, when the story starts for us, the reader, he's been dead for a long time. So there's that sense in which it's already like there's nothing to save. He's, you know, what the doctor says is that the stories are saved. They're in they're in the books. They're in the mm-hmm. extent they're in the extended media. I love that. The Jake, <laughs> I love that the Jacob Harmer um, uh, 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 hologram or whatever it is tells Tanaka He's like, I've got the tape of the doctor's voice. 
so he's he's already he's taped it as well like he's got audio recordings like off tape yeah. you know? and i'm just like oh my god they've even digitized the off-air recordings like even yeah. that has worked its way into the story which is i just think that's that's just it's so lovely how all these things are intertwined all these like the the various uh, uh strings and threads of 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 not only doctor who fandom obviously but you know our our what the things that we the stories we love as children and the ways that we the ways that we preserve them, the ways that we save them. Like, that's just, it's incredible to me. Yeah, I hadn't thought about the parallels with Margaret, but that's absolutely right. Yeah, because they're they're both famous after their deaths for the work they've left behind and everything. Yeah, that's that's a really good way of looking at it as well. And she's, I mean, I know uh, uh, Leela, I think, is a little shocked towards the end of the story also that, you know, in that scene, what the that central scene where he meets the doctor as, a, as an adult, that the doctor hands him, essentially hands him the TARDIS. Like that mm. is, that's critical to that as well. It's critical to all these things that we're talking about because it's like here, you know, this is, this is the legacy, you know, you curate your idea of what Doctor Who is and you keep it and you pass it on in the ways that make sense to you. Like that's one of the wonderful things at the end of the, at the end of the, uh, at the end of the play is that, you know, the TARDIS, I mean, it grows and it expands until it's ready to be passed. It's until it's ready to be passed on. You know, I love that. It's yeah, be- beautiful. Definitely, definitely a story. I'm going to revisit a lot. I think. And then the, the next story is uh, the friendly invasion. So yes, uh, the friendly invasion uh, by Chris Chapman, uh, who has written extensively for the Sixth Doctor, many many stories for the Sixth Doctor. He's written for uh, the recent Dark Season box set. Uh, he's written for the Fifth Doctor. Uh, especially, and I made note, uh, he wrote one of the stories in the Mark arc where they brought in a new, an, again, it was just like they brought in a new companion with an established mm-hmm. team. So again, I was just like, you know, is, was this one of the reasons is, is there something there that they liked in that story that a reason that they brought him back for this, um, uh, unit. And of course, like I said, the fifth doctor, um, and this is also relevant to today's, you know, box set new collection announcement because Chris Chapman, it's the same same Chris Chapman who makes all the documentaries. And for this one, he made the the one that I was just going nuts when they were like behind the new new behind the scenes of the King's Demons. I don't know about you, Mark. I love the King's Demons. Give me <laughs> a janky robot playing a lute, singing about Total War every day of the week. That is Doctor, <laughs> that is Doctor Who to me. Uh, and I, I can't wait. I cannot wait for that. I cannot wait for that. Yeah, very, very exciting. Yeah, and Chris... Chris Chapman's terrific. Uh, I, I've seen him on on stage at conventions. He's he's a really nice guy. He's he's so enthusiastic, and obviously, I mean, obviously, to do the job he does, he's got such such love for Doctor Who, and uh, yeah, to, uh, yeah, lo- love his work, and I and I really enjoyed this story as well. And so the uh, sort of uh, pricey for this one is this is this one's really fun for me. I mean, uh, uh, it's a it, you know it gets a little bit tense at times, but this is a it's a sort of base under siege story where the, where the, where the base is a pub. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, give me this as well. Like I, yeah. you know, more of this, please. <laughs> uh, we need more access to alcohol during bases under siege stories. Um, but it's more or less, it's the eve of the D-Day Normandy invasion. We've got what amounts to, as far as I understand it, uh, uh, dainty company, which was sort of the basis or the model for the band of brothers. Um, uh, uh, movies and on TV shows that all that kind of stuff sort of sort of very uh, critical to the D-Day invasion for the U.S. side, uh, sort of scorned and looked down upon by the uh, uh, 
was going to say the Aboriginal inheritance. Uh, these are your people, Mark. Uh, by, the, <laughs> by, the, <laughs> by the by the locals, I should say. Um, uh, uh, because again, they're sort of, you know, out of towners flashing around money, whatever, uh, uh, a little bit better off and a little bit, you know, Americans, Mark, you know how we are. We're, mm -hmm. we're loud. We're, we're in your face. <laughs> we talk a lot. Uh, we're very noisy, uh, very disruptive to a, to a quiet English village. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's the, the eve of the Normandy invasion and sort of, sort of weird, weird stuff starts happening. So that's where, that's where we're at. Yeah, I was interested to to know what you thought of the American accents because to me they sounded fine. But then listening to the behind the scenes, I uh, we learn that not all of the American characters are played by American actors. So I was curious to know how well you thought they pulled that off. I thought they pulled it off very very well. I mean, there's a way in which even uh, uh, even it's strangely even actually American actors who do big finish sort of overdo the Americanness sometimes it's like a very very Americanness <laughs> like I'm very American like there's a it's a sort of over the topness to it which I get like they're GIs they're supposed to be like you know in some to some extent like uh, uh, again regimented bold uh, uh, a, a, bit, a little bit larger than life uh, both in mm -hmm. the way that they act the what the things that they do but also their enunciation uh, but yeah no generally like you know I, I have heard obviously some really terrible American accents in big finish stories, but these are, these are all serviceable. I would never have, I would never have guessed until the behind scenes stuff that, that, that some of the, uh, that some of the actual voice actors were, were British. You know, they were great, great voices, great voice acting in this one. Two of my favorite things about this story are to do with, with accents. And one of them is when one of the GIs, uh, uh, who who isn't quite himself? He's, he's actually been possessed by somebody from the future, and he remembers that his real name is Peter. Yes. And when he tells Leela that his name is Peter, he says it in an American accent, obviously, and it's like the sort of where the T sounds a bit like a D to us. Uh, so he goes, Peter, Peter, yeah. And then when uh, when Louise Jameson plays that, so every time she calls him his name. She does it in a normal accent and then just says, Peter, <laughs> just exactly as he's told her what yep. his name is. Yep. Um, because obviously she wouldn't know the name Peter yep. to, to, to use her own accent. And it's uh, whether that's in the script or whether that is a choice from Louise Jameson, because, you know, we know that she does have a very strong sense of the character of Leela and mm -hmm. would change scripts on TV so that she didn't use any contractions or anything mm -hmm. like that because... She thought, well, Leela wouldn't know what those are. So whether that's a choice that she made, but every time it happened, it really made me laugh. I thought that was terrific. I didn't even notice and that. That's amazing, though. Uh, but I did. It's one of the things that you definitely do notice over the course, again, of the box set of spending or of the of the season, spending this much time with these characters is, you know, again, they don't they don't ne they never play her inability to pronounce multi polysyllabic words. They never tease her about it. They never make fun of it. It's always, mm -hmm. she's making the attempt. She knows more or less what you mean. That's all she, she's like, give me the bare facts, but also exactly what you say, that there is a sort of parrot quality to her where, you know, what she hears is what she will say. It's very, very face value, which I, I you know, it's, it's a way of externalizing that character vocally is just like presenting her, you know, you get, you, you what you give her is what you, she, she is, she has just a sort of level of trust to her where she will take what you give her and that is what she will say, you know? Yeah, because in the previous story, when, when Jacob says, he says something like, it's the woods behind my house. Yes! Oh, and no. then she she always refers to where they are as the woods, the woods behind, behind our house. house. 
Yeah, yeah, behind our house. Yeah. Yes, which I mean, it's amazing. It's which is almost like you know, not to go back to that story for too long, but like sort of reminds you of the Hundred Acre Wood or like you know, mm-hmm. sort of outdoor settings that have a specific like uh, uh, either nomenclature or you know, a sort of hyphenated name to them where it it is its own setting. So like for Leela, the woods behind our house is just the name of this place. Yeah. And then the other thing I love is that the the sort of nominally the chief villain, although he's possessed, is Stan, mm-hmm. the pub landlord, mm-hmm. who has just having a villain with a really strong West Country accent, <laughs> who's called Stan, really, really was amusing as well, because he's saying all the evil villain lines in that accent. Um, it, it, it's like if they left David Prowse's own accent yeah. as Darth Vader in the Star Wars films. <laughs> It, 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 that that's terrific. And then what I didn't realize until afterwards is that this is um, Barnaby Edwards, who he does the voice for Stan, the the pub landlord. Mm-hmm. He's one of the GIs. He's Edie's dad, and he's old Reg, who's the oh my the god, guy yeah, the guy at the beginning. The a bit, yeah, and then who goes out and meets Stan, and then becomes one of the possessed people as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So. I would have had no idea that that was the same actor playing four different parts. He's he's incredibly skilled at that. That's um, I think that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, no, that's 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 ridiculous. I didn't even think about that, and I've listened to the behind the scenes stuff too, and I know he he talks about it. Um, but yeah, that's wild. But uh, uh, again, like this story for me and the one before it. Uh, the Wizard of Time. These are good stories for Margaret because, you know, after the, the the weirdness and the craziness of, you know, Antilia, like deep space, insanity, and Ice Heist taking her to like a weird ice planet, like these two stories allow her to, you know, be in familiar territory, uh, uh, even though, I mean, obviously all kinds of crazy stuff happens, but where she was paired with, you know, we talked about her and Angeli Mohindra as Markway uh, in... Um, you know, Antilia the Lost here, or uh, yeah, in that one here, she's paired with Edie, who is the mm-hmm. sort of, you know, the, 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 the village girl who has sort of fallen in love with one of the American GIs um, and sort of allows her, you know, because I mean, Fish Out of Water is interesting sometimes, but, you know, I like that they give us a couple of stories back to back here with sort of on earth, familiar, fam- familiar scenarios where she can, you know, uh, 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 interact with things that are more more her speed and so she's able to you know provide comfort and be the sort of mediatrix to Edie into this bizarre world that Leela has been for her in the preceding stories yeah it's a really interesting story for Margaret isn't it because Mm -hmm. she was sort of Edie's age Mm -hmm. during the second world war Mm -hmm. and had a similar experience and this is where we learn a lot more about Margaret as well Mm -hmm. she fell in love with a GI who didn't make it back from the war Mm -hmm. and she never really fell for anybody in the same way since so she's and and she knows that the same thing is going to happen to Edie because they know that the GI that she's fallen in love with unfortunately is is known in history to have died in at an important juncture yeah. for for D Day. So yeah, she's she's it's it's sort of looking back at her life and knowing also for Edie's point of view what's going to happen to her in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but also yeah, she's back in an English village, which is where we the setting that we saw in the in the first story. So it, it, it's familiar territory like that. 
and it's and she's the barmaid so yes it's, the way that the regulars are introduced is really neat in this story <laughs> because uh the gis arrive at the pub and then margaret's the the land uh, is, is the barmaid yep. sort of thing and then uh the doctor is just somebody in the pub that get the, gets to talk <laughs> to them <laughs> But as Stan gets possessed, the doctor says, well, this, this pub doesn't have a landlord anymore. <laughs> a landlord. Which it doesn't. It just I've just always wanted to be a pub landlord. And that's great. And on the behind the scenes, Tom Baker absolutely loves that idea as well. And yes. Just, yeah, so much fun with that. Um, I love uh, that the, the doctor, once he starts putting together what's happening, um, the guy who, again, will come back and, and weirdly, again, we're sort of uh, uh, picking up a theme here, which will come back later, which is, uh, like you said, it's the the GI that Margaret sort of fell in love with. Um, is, is There's one appe- who appears here who will come back in the, the final story. Uh, but again, the thing that tickles me here is that once the doctor realizes that he has been possessed, starts, his name is Ray, Ray Hunter. And so he starts mm-hmm. calling him not Ray. Like, yeah, <laughs> I just, I, that just made me laugh every single time. He's like, not Ray. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but again, here it's weird because your 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 true enemies uh, are not they're not really villains. It's again, it's 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 rich people with too much to do or too much uh, too mm. too much time on their hands. So you have sort of and that's one of that's that is who has possessed Ray in in this instance is a sort of time tourist I think from the fifty second century, which yeah. is is just bananas. And then they've got people, other people who are sort of hijacking or dovetailing or riding their coattails of the mm. sort of connection that they have from the, the whatever that electronic temporal whatever bridge it is they create from the 52nd century to the the sort of mid 20th that these other guys other rich folks who are just like sort of chaos let the chips fall where they may let's make bets on how badly we can screw up history sort of dovetail in and these are the guys i imagine right with the fire hands is that correct mm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they're, they're sort of, yeah, just like these sort of uh, this gentlemen's club are just making bets and mm-hmm. saying that the, the more they can change history, the more they stand to win. Mm-hmm. But there's also the risk that they could wipe themselves out of history by, mm-hmm. by changing it too much. Mm-hmm. Whereas Peter, who has taken over the, the, the body of the of the sergeant, I think, he's just like a tourist. And as the doctor yes. says, you know, like of all the places you could have gone in the time, come to one of the most awful periods of... Of, of human history, yeah. um, you know, because you've sentimentalized it. And that that is a big problem in our country is that, you know, the, among a certain generation, a certain mindset that World War Two is is very sort of sentimentalized. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, yes, well, needs to say, causes, uh, it causes a lot of problems generally, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's obviously links to the towns of Wenchang as well, because that Zigma radiation oh, yeah. is the time travel that that um, Magnus Greel uses, and that's the 52nd century as well, isn't it? Yep. So you get the sense that that particular period, people are messing around with that technology when they when they shouldn't be at all. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's always going to sort of uh, end in disaster, I think. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a story where, and sometimes people like criticize Doctor Who stories for having like uh, quick endings. Which mm. for me, like, you know, again, it depends on, and again, these are very petty, they're petty enemies. You know, once the doctor sort of susses who they are, it should be easy to defeat them. Like, yeah. that's, I mean, at least, at least that's my sort of perspective. Like, in a lot of these stories, it feels like we wait for a giant, especially like the weirder things get, like we wait for a sort of giant revelation to hit. And sometimes it's just these people are 
they're just uh they're 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 twits they're twerps you know whatever that you know pick your pick your tw word um but that's what they are like you know that sometimes you know it seems like the answers are easy that or that the villains are easily defeated uh but that i think like like i say is a sort of function of their villainy you know their villainy is small you know defeating them should be easy um and there's i think there's something really like you said there's something really melancholy in that for this scenario you know, especially as we get to the end, because, you know, Margaret has had personal loss. The doctor knows what is going to happen to these kids. Uh, 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 Leela has a hard time, you know, sending them off to their next thing. Like, you know, for, for something, for them to have interfered in something of, of this, of this nature, like is, it's just, it's, it's, uh, mm. it's, it's, again, it's small, it's petty. It's, it's not, uh, it's not fun. You know, like the end of a Doctor Who story should be fun most times. And, you know, none of our main characters, like they, none of, they all know that this is, there's nothing fun. Nothing fun has happened here or will happen next. Yeah. Yeah. It's against that, that backdrop of the, uh, of the bigger, more horrific conflict, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the next story, which is the, uh, the, the next four part one is, pretty epic i think really this Mm -hmm. is is maybe the most epic of the stories Mm -hmm. and uh is the only one really with a a returning or a kind of recurring doctor who villain suppose because the angels of the title angels and demons box set are of course the weeping angels Mm -hmm. Uh, i think i think it's the first time i've seen tom baker doctor face the weeping angels i think i'm right in saying that yeah i, I was trying i was trying to remember if he had done it before but i think it was the bastion errata that i was thinking of i don't think he's i don't think he's faced yeah. the weeping angels no yeah they did that was on one of the classic doctors new, new monsters. monsters box sets wasn't it yeah. yeah so this is on a, a crashed sort of pleasure cruise spaceships crashed on a very inhospitable planet mm-hmm. so again you've got very spoiled rich people mm-hmm. again like mm-hmm. like the uh the people in the art gallery like the people who are traveling back in time to possess people to mm-hmm. to, to experience the war and things uh and, and in particular the two sort of tourist characters that we focus on um you've got them and you've got the crew of the starship and the starship crew just trying to keep everybody alive mm-hmm. and escape from the planet but they are, and again, it's like I think what you're saying about like the very rapacious people who they they just want to uh, see see things, but not really appreciate them. They they want to just kind of say they've been there mm-hmm. and take uh, take holographs, isn't it? I think, and it's instead of it's, photographs, yeah. they, they take holographs. And there's even a thing where they say he's got a holographic memory instead of a photographic. Yes, yes, memory. yes, yes. Because the first time I heard it, I thought, oh, does that mean he's uh, an android or something? Mm-hmm. He's got holographic memory. But it's just that they use that word instead of uh, <laughs> instead of photographs. And I forget what the word uh, they use for selfies is, but they you get that one as well. And I just had this, yeah. I had just had this idea, like I have a, a a a selfie stick now that I found at a thrift store, uh, which I love. It tickles me to death. When they first came out, there were so many news stories about uh, someone using a selfie stick fell into the Grand Canyon. And I'm like. I don't want to buy something that idiots use. Uh, but like years later, I'm like, oh, this is a lot of fun. I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna fall into a pit using it. Uh, yes. uh, or at least that's the hope. But again, it's there's a sort of sort of thoughtlessness to how people, how how some of the folks in these in, again these rapacious, uh, uh, wealthy, unthinking, uh, sort of cruel, petty sort of people uh, uh, use and abuse uh, their their privilege uh, uh, in in a variety of ways. 
but yeah, no, I mean, the last story uh, uh, started or ended again with that idea of, you know, the, and, and it's something that we've seen many times through the, through the season is this inevitability of death or inevitability of loss. You know, these American GIs are going, they're, they're going to their death. I mean, most of them are going to their death. And one of the things, the first thing that Leela and the doctor and Margaret see when they step out of the TARDIS is a gravestone that's been there for a hundred years. There's again, there's mm. just like you're faced immediately with the inevitability of loss. And it's someone that they haven't even met yet. So that when they do meet, uh, what's her name? Felsa, Felsa, Mark, Mark, um, Mavalok. Mavalok, yes. So that when they meet her, there is a, a real sense of what, what is going on here. Because again, you know, there's, yeah, this is a Weeping Angel story, but we don't see that we, you know, we don't get Weeping Angels until until probably the end of part two. So, I mean, we're, I mean, we know they're coming, but like, when, when, how, what, in what way are they going to show up? Like there, this is a very, this is a very unusual Weeping Angel story and a very inventive one for the way that they use them, which I love that too. Like you don't even, and I, one of the things I love about this, because I, one of the things I do not like about Weeping Angel stories is the way that they continually reuse lines from the episode from Blink. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. just come up with different, you can cut your writers come up with different words. Like no one in this story says, don't blink. No one in this story yeah. says, don't even blink, which, uh, yeah. uh, I mean, it's just like every single weeping angel story. I'm like, why do you, why? Like there are other words to use, like make up different words. Like, I just love that they, that those phrases did not appear in this story at all. Yeah, that's true. And you've got to be even more inventive. I think they talk about this on the uh, on the behind the scenes where you've got to be even more inventive to use them on audio because they don't speak or anything. And they still manage to do that to make it to make them a very sinister, creepy threat, mm-hmm. picking people off one by one. And you've got the added wrinkle here that they've possessed one of the crew. Yes. Uh, sorry, one of the one tourists. tourists. Uh, um, so, is named. Huthrow, yeah. So but he's not possessed all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a great performance yes. as well from, uh, from this is Victor Maguire. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, he plays the, the very kind of vacuous mm-hmm. self. I'm a first class passenger. Yeah. <laughs> over and over again. Um, yeah. Which everybody's met people like that yes. or, or dealt with them. Oh my God. Being somewhere with them. It's, it's awful. So he's, yeah, he's kind of an unlikable character anyway, and then on top of that, he's uh, he's possessed as well. Because the other the other Tori's character uh, is Tench. I Tench, think? yes, that's Joe yeah. the Joe Sims character, who again his yeah. voice is I just love his voice, I, and you know you know who he is the moment he talks. Yeah, he's he's slightly more likable, isn't he? He's he's been sort of bullied into leaving the ship mm-hmm. and, and and things like that, but then. Uh, but then, yeah, he tries to steal the shuttle, doesn't he? Then and, and, and leave yep. them all behind. So, yep. yeah, it's 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 a good, it's great that it's four parts. This because all of the characters get a lot of a lot of the action. Mm-hmm. They they get really good arcs and everything. And it's it's again, it's a particularly harrowing one for Margaret. She comes very close to falling in lava, I think, doesn't yes. she? At the end, which is crazy. Which, it's just wild. Yeah. It's um, it's it's a lot for her, and and at the end of this one, kind of decides that she wants to stop traveling with the Doctor. It's a bit reminding me a little bit of Dan, actually. Although this must have been written long before yeah. the power of the Doctor, as, as you were saying before, it is that you know when when does it become too risky and yeah. then uh, and too much, and then you get very 
which doesn't include the, the Doctor and Margaret and Leela, is the coda at the end where the, all the characters have been zapped back in time by the angels yep. meet up on the planet before it's become this dangerous, larvary, dead planet. Which is at least, and, they and, say, I think they say at the beginning of the story, it's at least 100 years in the past. Because the gravestone is 100 years old. At least. At least. And and what was really nice with that scene as well was that Margaret's knowledge of stone from yes. being a sculptress mm-hmm. plays into that. She says, well, it must have been here that long because there's green on it, which suggests that there's been sort of uh, moss or something on it. Before, so that... Prior to the solar flare. So it may even be older than 100 years old, but that's at the least yeah. old it could be. And it's such a bittersweet ending the way the characters have all been sent back in time slightly different times so some of them are older than other ones so it's it's nice that they're on a hospitable planet and they're no longer in danger but they there isn't again about inevitability and that kind of thing and and what you leave behind you know we know that in the future that you know there's no settlement or anything that's that you know from these people that all that is left is is the gravestone yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, again, the, the, looking back at a couple of the points you brought up, there's the one of the other innovative things that I loved about the angels. It, one of them deals with this as well. Is like it used to be, and again, there's this uh, uh, notion that if it's you know that people always talk about, well, we don't need more angel stories because they keep changing the what they're they keep changing their powers, and I'm like. <laughs> I don't care. It's like it, it, you know, if the story, if it were, if the story works, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. Cause it's, mm-hmm. I think that the, the, it used to, the, the idea used to be that they would send you back for however long your life was going to be. And of course here, you know, there's no way they could have lived, you know, a hundred plus yeah. years. It doesn't matter. Like the fact is like, you're right. It's, it's more important that they were scattered through when they're, when they arrived like Tench, who was the, sort of greediest one to survive or like the most sort of rapacious uh, uh, tourist to survive the, mm-hmm. the encounter was sent back, had to live there 23 years, I think he said, which is, I mean, that's a little bit bonkers. It's a little bit bonkers yeah. to be there on your own for 23 years. Uh, but I mean, part of that is, and it doesn't necessarily have to be realistic. It's like, you've learned a lesson, you know, you've learned mm-hmm. a lesson about your, about looking out only for yourself. Um, uh, but also the idea of, again, adding to what the ain't sort of angel lore, that idea that, you know, I think they break a screen or tear a, tear a holo photo or whatever it is to like break a connection between Huthrow and the, and the angel for a short time. So I like that idea that, cause it used to, you know, the idea was that the image of an angel, and I'm glad they didn't say that one as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. image of an angel <laughs> is an, you know, whatever. Um, but that there's a way to break that link. I liked that idea. I was like, that is creative. Mm-hmm. That is new. And that is cool. Yeah, it does does some really interesting, innovative things with it. It's yeah, it, it's a really strong story. I don't think there's a weak link in this box set, mm-hmm. and and this is another. Yeah, I think probably the most the most epic one, mm-hmm. and and a sort of fitting end. Well, or not quite the end, but for Margaret actually traveling with the TARDIS yes. crew willingly, mm-hmm. it, it's a good fitting end for her. Mm-hmm. I think. So that brings us on to the Ghost of Margaret. It's the final story in the in the season. This is by Tim Foley, who, you know, going back and looking him up, I mean, I, this is a name that I, I, I recognize, certainly, but I was unaware of the sheer volume of what this guy has written. So again, like picking him for the final story of the box set makes perfect sense. This is one of the most reliable and bankable writers and script editors uh, in the in the Big Finish fold. He's written for multiple Torchwoods. 
including writing tropical beach sounds and seascapes. Uh, have you heard that one? The one narrated by Michael, by Michael Palin? No, I'm not. I haven't heard that many Torchwood big finishes, to be honest. It's bonkers. Um, the War Master, uh, he uh, wrote a couple of stories for The Rage of the Time Lords, which is the one where Derek Jacobi goes up against uh, the Eighth Doctor, which I love. Yeah. I love that box set. Uh, he's written for the Unbound Doctor, uh, both the Warner Doctor and the uh, Colin Baker sort of slash War Doctor uh, uh, version. Uh, the Eighth Doctor, he's writing for, uh, he's written a story, at least one for the upcoming Audacity uh, box set that's coming later this year, which I am very, very excited about. Um, mm-hmm. The Ninth Doctor, and he wrote the uh, Fright Motif, which I think uh, uh, was on a, I talked about it on somebody's podcast recently. <laughs> <laughs> the one where they go to uh, post-war France. Um, yes. I love that yeah, story. I, like that one, yeah. uh, I won't go through the rest because I will be here the rest of the day talking about what he's written. But he's also, like, just to sort of round this off, um, he's uh, uh, slated to, uh, as the writer for the final, the coda to Once in Future, which won't come out until November uh, of 2024. So this is, again, this is a writer who, you know, they Big Finish knows they can count on for uh, for whatever it is they need. So that's great. And of course, he script edited the eight Helen and Liv box sets that we definitely talked about on this podcast at the uh, at the start of this year. So, again, these are these are very, very safe, safe hands. Uh, And the ghost of Margaret, sort of the the pricey here, the sort of summary um, is that Margaret's had enough, like something has happened between the end of Stone Cold and the start of this story, because at the end of the last story, she was like, you know, I just want to go home. I want to take a break. You know, but mm-hmm. here at the start of this story, we're not even two sentences in where she's like, I'm I'm done. You know, it, it didn't feel like that there was that finality uh, in between. So maybe just like living with or sitting with what happened or again, the weight of what's happened. And I, one of the things I love about this season is that it feels like and it feels strangely appropriate for today with the season 20 box set collection being announced is that it feels like what what would they have done if they had written Tegan today? You know, like, because again, her story is, her story is one of traumas, like repeated traumas. She leaves, you know, uh, 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 after the sort of uh, Black Guardian stuff and then comes back uh, uh, and like leaves again at, uh, what is it? The, it's not Revenge of the Daleks. It's one of the Dalek stories. Resurrection. Resurrection, yeah. yes. Um, where it's just repeated, like she leaves and then she comes back and, uh, no, she comes back in Arc of Infinity. That's right. Uh, and then it's just mm-hmm. like more, tra- it's like more traumas. And then she leaves again. And it's like, I feel like if you were writing that companion today, not dissimilar to what we saw in Pete McTeague's brilliant uh, um, trailer for today, like you would get some sort of after narrative. And that's what we get here with the ghost of Margaret is here's a companion who has gone through repeated traumas, like every single story she's in, like none of these are fun. You know, maybe the the Wizard of Time one gives them, a you know, a little bit of a a little bit of a break, a little bit of a pause to have some fun. And of course, you know, she, you know, laughs because she has to at some points during other stories. But generally speaking, like, this has been a rough ride for Margaret. You know, she's an OAP, mm-hmm. you know, she's used to a slow life, you know, uh, she likes to paint and like make sculptures and stuff like that. This is really not her thing. And so she has decided that she wants off. And of course, where do they let her off? Between dimensions. <laughs> And so that's, yeah, that's Man Alive. That's where we start. That's where we start this one. 
I have to say, the story being called The Ghost of Margaret, the first time I listened to it, I was very worried yep. that uh, that she was going to be killed off. Me too. And then because, because we've had this theme of, uh, of legacy and um, I suppose that you say, you know, what's left behind and things, and you've had the, the character in The Wizard of Time who is just a projection, almost like a ghost as well, mm-hmm. that, that this was going to be some sort of postscript. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, it isn't, and she is um, instead. It's it's more that she has become this sort of incorporeal being because of the way she's been uh, dropped off, like you say, in between dimensions, mm-hmm. um, and, it, and it ties into that theme, like you say, as well of of sort of uh, in between spaces. So she can sort of be seen a little bit. Um, I think she she's near the TARDIS, isn't it? She mm-hmm. can be sort of seen a little bit by people. So that's why she looks like a ghost, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, she's trapped somewhere where there are these beings that that basically devour anybody from the from the real universe that that, that drops in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the Doctor and Leela, they the TARDIS sort of immediately brings them back. So the suggestion that the TARDIS knows that something's gone wrong and takes the Doctor where. She knows that he needs to be, mm-hmm. but Leela, Leela knew immediately that she said there's, there's something, something wrong about this yeah. place. Yeah, it's again, it's the it's, it's it's all instinct, isn't it? And mm-hmm. the Doctor kind of dismisses her, and and we also get a returning character yes. um, of Captain Ray Hunter, who was Sergeant Ray Hunter in the Friendly Invasion, mm-hmm. who is now an old man and says, "Oh, Margaret's written to me, so I've come to Ravencliff as well." Mm-hmm. And in their attempts to to rescue Margaret, he becomes trapped in the universe as well. And it's just beautiful that they, they're in this weird realm together. They're under siege, um, but they fall in love and develop this relationship. And it's a very sort of montage kind of sped up version of that. But it's, yep. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's terrific, those scenes. And you sort of hope that, that they can end up together or that maybe this will be, they will just stay here together forever. Yeah. Um, because they seem to be holding the monsters at bay, and and, and maybe that's how it will resolve. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did you enjoy this one? I did. This one was, this one's very heavy for me. This was very heavy because it feels like mm-hmm. again, like something has happened, and whether it's again just the, the the thinking about it or the way that you know, I don't know when these stories were written. Like necessarily that one thing would have been written specifically to go into the next one, but it feels like there's a, a that this story is a lot about processing it's about processing grief Mm. it's about processing loss it's about um you know there's something like when she is she is so adamant when she is getting out of the tardis that i am you know i'm done i'm gonna walk home like you know she says she's a 10 minute drive from where she lives like and it's like the middle of the night like she Mm -hmm. like there is no one says anything about that but there you know there there is something there that she needs to get away she needs to get away from these people right now like that there yeah. is something, you know, as much as she has grown to like the Leela and the doctor and as interesting as their relationship has been, you know, there's something that I think Leela and the doctor even talk about it, that there is something that she was looking for with them that she did not find. And I think the doctor says, I hope that you find, uh, I hope that she finds what she's looking for. She didn't find it. it was something like that, like that she didn't find with us. And there is something about this whole season. It just sort of hits you, hit me anyway, like a ton of bricks even from that first scene where there is, you know, it felt like, you know, not only sort of the Donna thing you were talking about earlier where she had an adventure and then she wants more, but also like 
that she was running away from something, you know, mm-hmm. and we, we th- there's no real sense for what that is, except that we know through process of elimination at the very least. And I know that, uh, you know, a lot of people go through this sort of thing is like that. The question of the story is, what do you want? You know, what does what does Margaret want? And, you know, the the adventures were harrowing that she had with the doctor and Leela. You know, the, again, they could be fun at times, but like this was you know, again, through process of elimination, like this, this was not what she, she can't do this anymore. Like this is not for her. Like this life is not for her. Like, you know, this sort of wizard of time sort of theme of, you know, these sort of creatures from people from characters from storybooks. I mean, that's what Lula and the doctor are. I mean, they talk about it themselves every once in a while in this story. Uh, you know, what, what are we going to do? Like they talk about her as though, as though they can continue to be part of her life. Like, but Margaret, we know, like, you know, even though she is a character in this fiction as well, like, she is too much of our world to belong in theirs. And so mm. going on adventures, going on more adventures for her where her life is at risk and she's imperiled every time are not, that's not it. And I think that one of the things about that between world that she ends up in and one of the characteristics that we learn of it is it is almost a, a sort of world of depression or a world that sort of feeds on your thoughts, like whatever they happen to be. And for Margaret, they are, again, it's unresolved pain. It's unresolved grief. It's unresolved trauma. And, you know, it may have something to do with her adventures with the doctor and Leela, but that may just have brought up, again, sort of a general dissatisfaction with where her life is. And we often think about meet cutes in, uh, in, in, in rom-coms or other sorts of fictions where, two young people meet and fall in love or whatever. And one of the extraordinary things here is that these are two middle-aged, you know, senior, even senior citizens who meet up. And, you know, Margaret is sort of focused, laser focused on what is wrong or what is deficient in her life. And it's one of the things that I didn't notice until the second time I listened to this story, but thinking about, again, parallels between different things, but like Leela keeps presenting herself as a hunter. And, you know, that is her, you know, but she's a hunter, but she's also a defender throughout this season. You know, she, as you said earlier, she has a sort of matri, uh, matronly sort of uh, motherly sort of relationship to Margaret. And, you know, is always saying that I'm here to protect the doctor. Like, those are her roles. It's like, I'm going to protect, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to look out for you. But she's also a hunter. So, you know, it's particularly fitting in the GI story that she sort of becomes a field general. Uh, But that, you know, this character, Ray Hunter, is sorry this was definitely gonna make me cry ray hunter like he is someone who is looking for the light yeah that is god that just like that crushed me when it finally hit me because he is so he's so joyful in this story like when she says you're trying to lull me into a false sense of security and he's like i'm definitely trying to lull you into a sense of security like i just hope yeah (laughs) don't want it to be false you know but like you know where, where she can manifest like horrible creatures and like sinking into sand. Like he manifests ducks and oranges and, you know, makes, you know, can, can create a kitchen with tremendous like meals every night. Yeah. And it, and it creates an equilibrium, doesn't it? That, that keeps the monsters at bay that the monsters are there because, because they save her unresolved trauma and it, because it's, it immediately takes her back to something from her childhood, doesn't it? That, that happened and the is it's like the maid or something i think yes. that, that found her yeah so yeah it's like it's a trauma going back to that but then she's also had the trauma of losing the gi that she fell yep. in love with in the in the second world war and everything yep um so yeah those 
those scenes are, are just beautiful. I think um, with those two, and then you've got you've got Ray, who it it works so well because at the start you get Margaret writing the letter, and it says, "I'm going to ask you to remember something." Uh, something that you couldn't possibly remember or something along those lines, which makes it you think that it's a reference to the events of the friendly invasion because he can't remember that because he was possessed for that. And he he only, his character only actually appears right at the very end Mm -hmm. of it. And he says, well, they just told me about it afterwards on the train when we were going to to Normandy and Mm -hmm. things. And then he has all this experience with Margaret again, which then also didn't happen really to him and, and he can't remember. So he's had that twice. He's had the two adventures with, with Margaret mm-hmm. effectively. So yeah, it's, it's very interesting for him. And, and she, so when she writes the letter, it actually refers to the second time she encountered him, not the first, but mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, that's a really clever way of doing it. And, but then she knows that, that that is what she wants is that, you know, she's, she's really fallen in love with this man and, yeah, it's 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 the perfect ending for her, I think, because she does then have that shot of happiness and uh, and, and something that she was looking for. And that's and that, and that I think is 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 the final solution here. That's a terrible way of saying it. Um, the um, the 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 answer for her is what what does she want? Is 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 she wants connection? You know, and that's one of the things that she frets about it a little bit towards the end and saying, "Well, I can't write to him because he won't remember me." But this is the thing: mm. like both times he's been there. You know, even as brief as it's been, like he he even tells the doctor, he's like, you know, this is the second time that I will have forgotten uh, having an adventure with you. But he doesn't seem sad about it. Like he seems happy to have had the adventure, you know, happy Mm -hmm. to have had the experience. And that is, you know, seemingly what's more important here is like not that she is writing the letter again. So because, I mean, one of the ideas that, that pops into your head almost immediately is, is this going to initiate a time loop? I mean, this is like what a sci fi fan thinks of. Like, is yeah. it just going to initiate a time loop where they just keep having this adventure in a no, in another place? But like, no, the question, like, like the, what's happened here is that she has discovered connection. And if she's found it once with this person, there's no reason it can't happen again. It may happen differently. You know, it may, you know, they're not going to, you know, obviously learn to, you know, relate to each other in a weird nether place where they're being beset by strange, you know, depression demons. But like, there's obviously a connection there. And this is something that, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, the influence of thinking about this as sort of a, 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 in the light of what's happened during pandemic and, you know, thinking about, you know, what what connections we lost during pandemic, whether like actual losses or, you know, relationship losses and thinking about, you know, people we met years ago that, you know, we reconnect with and, you know, like fostering new relationships out of old ground or ground that wasn't dredged, wasn't dredged before, like thinking of ways to grow new, new connections. And, you know, there's a sense in which, you know, uh, Margaret's sort of panic at the end about writing to Ray again is like, she, you know, she, she has, she had these adventures. She had these stories with the doctor and Leela and, you know, she, she, she at least can remember them, which is great. Uh, Cause she can hold on to the, hold on to them and revisit them in later years and but but that's not but that can't be her story going forward like that that fiction that 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 the strange travels with the doctor like that's not it's ultimately it's not real it's one of the things that for me again connects this story in weird parallel ways to the wizard of time is like to what extent can we make 
our lives revolve around fictions, you know, and to what extent do we need something external to those fictions, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to not necessarily to move beyond grief or move beyond trauma, but like to learn to live with it. You know, that's, that is, that's where this, that's where this story leaves me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very powerful like that. And then the other scene that I thought was very moving was the doctor persuading the TARDIS to take them into the realm where Margaret and Ray are trapped. Yep. And it's very 12th doctor, isn't it? Yep. The idea that you, you coax the TARDIS, that it's a negotiation mm. that, that you can use the telepathic circuits, you know, as they did in sort of dark water and things mm. to, to, to go and try and find, where Danny Pink is yep. and, and, and having Leela leave the, the console room for him to say, you know, this, uh, this will probably, well, we don't actually, you're not actually privy to the conversation, yep. which makes you suspect the doctor's doing something clever, but, yep. but yeah, the idea that he's, uh, he's asked to tie certainly to risk herself to, to, to rescue Margaret is, uh, yeah, is, is very powerful, but, but also, matches some of the themes in here as well of accepting your fate yeah. and uh you know as it did with the friendly invasion and things and uh and sacrifice and yeah it's 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 all around again uh very very beautiful story and i love that idea that the doctor says once once they come out of it because leela leela uh offers to go with him and he's like no i feel like you should stay behind and of course in the fiction world of course she can't like of course she's going to go with him that is her role is to go yes. with him and the TARDIS, he says later, you know, after uh, they come back to Margaret's house, which I love, I love, we never get that. We never get that. You know, we get it mm-hmm. obviously in like the power of three where, you know, the 11th doctor is stuck at Rory and Amy's house for a while, but we never get that sort of domestic, that sweet little domestic life. And, you know, the, the doctor is like, yeah, the, the, the TARDIS ate, it, it devoured all of that darkness for us. And that I feel like that is also speaking to sort of, the fiction of Doctor Who is like, mm. it, it, you know, that's a, it's a place where we can escape. It's a place that, the, that again, you know, we hear it all the time. Uh, those, the, you know, the story of what you were talking about, about the, the middle-aged man talking to Tom Baker, like, mm. you know, there, there are moments, and you hear it, Toby Hado talks about it a lot on his podcasts, like, that, that, you know, in his youth, that this was, that Doctor Who was a, it was a haven for him, that the TARDIS was a, a safe, it was a safe place. You know, and that is that is its role that and, you know, again, we sort of see the doctor and Leela and the TARDIS for the archetypes that they are here at the end of the story, which is they are the vessels, they are vessels into which we pour our hope They're you know, where we put our, you know, where we put our faith in in dark times when we're I was going to say when we're kids. But I mean, let's face it, I, I do it. I do it now. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it does eat those things for us, but it can't it can't solve our problems, you know, for that, we need real connection for that. We need real people. Like I, uh, not to get too modeling. I want to do something a little funny here also, because one of the things I loved about this story was the gas station attendant that the doctor just yeah. never learns. <laughs> He's like Daryl, Darren. And then he would call him George. Like, yeah. and the guy just like nods his head the whole time. He like, he never actually says it until the very end. He's like, yeah, but my friends call me Daz. And he's like, okay, thank you, George. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no yeah uh, that's oh sorry, sorry it, go, go. it's a very deep story but yeah i'd say they that there is still a humor in there as well and and, and yeah it would be yeah it would be even heavier i think uh yeah without those moments but, but yeah I mean, but no it's it's i agree with everything you said there it's it's a, 
beautifully told. And one of the most encouraging things I think here about Margaret's character for who she is, is that, that, that seeking never stops, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, you can be, you know, whatever age and still like find new connections that you can still find new, that new people can still come into your life. Like whenever or wherever you are that you have to go, like the, you know, thinking of, I, I sort of tossed off the vicar at the start of the, the very, very start of the season. But like, you know, I, you know, he was, he did what, you know, and I, you know, when I was in uh, 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 therapy, like 10 years ago, it was one of the things that my therapist was always telling me. It's like, you have to go out and meet people. Like, you're never going to like, you know, I was in a transitional period myself, like had come out of academia and didn't know what was going on. This is when I found Doctor Who, like, and it did that work for me. So, I mean, this, these are things that they've all resonated with me to say nothing about like post-pandemic sort of ideas uh, of connection and stuff like that. But like this idea that you cannot like being here and talking or like taking medication or whatever happens to be, none of these things are going to be the, the solution. Like the, so the, 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 the key to moving forward is to making new connections. And like, I love that Margaret again is a, is a, is a, is a, is a senior citizen. And like that you, you never, that anyone can be in this, in this scenario and anyone can find their way out. You know, that fiction is a place where we can go for a start and for an escape, but it's, it's, it can't be, it can't be the solution for us. And I think that's, I think that's a wonderful, a wonderful thing to get out of a, out of a season of, of Doctor Who. It's incredible. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's amazing. And, and yeah, completely resonate with, with everything you say there. Yeah. For, for, for me as a child as well, it was, it was a massive escape during really, really tough times and everything. And, uh, yeah, uh, I hadn't made that connection with the vicar, but you're absolutely right. It really ties up the whole season thematically doesn't it yeah she was he was trying to encourage her to 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 do exactly that to 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 have new experiences meet people make connections uh and by the end of it yeah i wonder if they were tempted to bring him back actually to 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 bookend that to uh oh the vicar yeah yeah it's it's nice to think maybe he he married margaret and ray yeah uh that's uh (laughs) yeah but that's and that's the thing it's one of the wonderful things about the way the 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 frame narrative for this story, because it starts with a letter mm. and it ends with the letter. Uh, it reminds me, I used to, uh, uh, when I was in academia, my area of specialization was the 18th century. And one of the main forms of writing in the 18th century was letters. And, you know, whether mm. it was like essays that were written as letters or uh, novels, epistolary novels that are just like they're novels in letters. So they, the, the entire novel is like letters from one person to another. Um, but like uh, Samuel Richardson uh, one of the main proponents of that style uh, did a style of writing called writing to the moment in which like you would, he would write a, the character would write a letter and be like, Oh, I have to go. There's a noise coming. And so it like keeps you reading that. Cause you want to see what the next letter yeah. says. And so there's a, but there's also a sense in which writing to the moment means that if you stop writing that you, that you, you're no longer, you're no longer there. So like the fact that it starts with a letter that starts with reaching out to somebody else and ends with that letter, like, that what happens next is the blank page. It's like, it's what's to be written. Like, cause you imagine that he will write back because that's one of the, the confusions there at the start of the story is that, you know, he, she's like, I never wrote that letter. Like she doesn't remember, she didn't write it. She hasn't written it yet, but he has gotten it once and he will get it again. And like, what is the next version of that story? What will that be? Like, you know, and that goes back to what we were talking about, about, you know, multiple editions of target books and stuff like that. Like the next yeah. version of that story maybe even better like it but it's i love i love that we don't i love that we don't get it 
yeah it, it plays there's hope isn't there and it and it it plays out in your imagination um but you know that margaret's been left in a better place if 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 for nothing else than she would not have met ray other than through these travels but she's she's had a lot of other you know experiences and and growth as well so absolutely it's great well thank you very much for joining me to discuss this set it's been uh it's been fantastic discussing it with you um I've really enjoyed your insight. No, I mean, uh, I, I love this. And this is, this is one of the things for me, I was telling my friend Jean the other day, like it, that again, listening to these stories and I wasn't even talking to her about these stories. It was like, uh, thinking about again, what is for me thinking about what is, what is my new normal? Like, what does my life look like mm-hmm. now coming out of, uh, uh, coming out? Cause I've been very, very, I've been very, very, very cautious. Like I still wear masks in places and, you know, don't go to as many concerts as I used to. Uh, my, my Monday night drinking choir is, you know, doesn't, doesn't really happen anymore. Like I can't, like I do outdoor karaoke, but I can't go to my normal karaoke. Like all these things, like I need, but I need Mm. to move forward. I need to find new communities myself. And that's one of the reasons that this has, that this box has resonated or this season has resonated with me so much. And, you know, this, this is what I was telling my friend Gene is like, this is, this has become one of those things. And I'm very, very grateful to be able to sit here and talk with you about this, Mark. This means a lot to me. It's it's fantastic to have you. As soon as I heard these stories, it was one that I really wanted to podcast about. So I really appreciate you taking the time to to listen to them, talk to them. I say much as I listened to them twice and loved them, I love them even more now, having spoken to you about them <laughs> because you've you've uh, you know highlighted a lot of things and uh, brought things to the fore as well that I hadn't thought of. In the meantime, if you want to let our listeners know where they can find you on the internet, so I'm on uh, the sinking ship that is Twitter as at <laughs> at. Kittenry, K-I-T-T-E-N-R-Y. And I'm on Instagram at Melvin two underscores Pena. That's P-E-N. Thank you. Thanks Thank very you, much for listening at home. Uh, join us next time for another discussion about something else from the world of Doctor Who. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night.